praise God. It's so good to see you each in the house of the Lord and uh, that you chose to come here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ this morning. And there's nothing else is better because if we understand if our greatest need would have been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, then God would have sent an economist. But our greatest need was a Savior, so our God sent us a Savior named Jesus Christ. You can turn to John 20 today will be our text, but I just want to, as you're turning there, lay a little foundation because I think in the church we're really good at answering questions that nobody is asking. I believe that. So this may be one of your first times in church in a while, and I want to give you very, very detailed, very encouraging information from the Bible because you're looking at a man that believes every single word in the Bible is true. Every single word in the Bible is settled forever in the heavenlies, the Bible says. So as we dig into the word in John 20 today, I want you to know something very important because this is information you could use. Jesus is who he said he is. He didn't come to try to be a good teacher. He didn't come to try to give us a moralistic way we could live. He did not come just to help people and to talk to people and to minister to people, even though he did all those things. As he lived upon the earth, he healed, he saw demons cast out, he taught the people what it meant to live in the kingdom of God. But there's a difference between just being a good teacher. You see, I could go out into the community and be a good teacher, and people would say, boy, Jason's a good teacher, but if I started to claim to be God, how many understand I'd be in big trouble, amen? Everybody would look at him like, I, like I'm crazy because that's what Jesus said. Jesus said that he was God in the flesh and there's only one way to the Father because Jesus said very plainly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. He went into the temple. I mean, it was a it was an old time Howard's flea market, I guess you could call it, because they were in there selling minus Dixie Dog. Come on, somebody! <laughs> and they were in there selling things, and it was it was just a big market where they were selling things in the house of God. And he went in and he turned over the tables, and they asked him very directly, "What gave you the authority to come in and do this?" And he said, "It's my house." He said, "I am God." He said, "The truth." And the truth put him on a cross. He not only is who he said he was, but Jesus does what he promises he would do. In Mark 10, 34, he says, They will mock and flog and kill me, but after three days I will come back to life. This is kind of humorous to me, but can you imagine being one of the Roman soldiers that were there, that were were, uh, tasked with putting Jesus on the cross and guarding the tomb? Thousands of people witnessed you do the job that you were commanded to do. And imagine running into him on the street just a few days later. I'd find that kind of you. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know. But Jesus said very clearly, not only is he who he said he was this morning, but Jesus does what he says he would do. Because he was very clear to his disciples that on the third day he would rise again. You almost get the impression as you read the story of the resurrection, which in the Bible, a lot is given to the last week of Jesus' life and a lot of attention and detail is given to the day that he rose again and was crucified and we have Silent Saturday and then we come together to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. But as we look at that and we read the story, it's uh, the angels almost announced in amazement, why are you looking for the living among... In other words, he told you what he was going to do. But church, we have the same proclivity sometimes. God gives us a promise. God gives us his word and we doubt. I don't want to give you information you can't use this morning because today the title of my message is Jesus Still Shows Up. (laughs) He appeared many, many times to many, many different people. He appeared to many people at different times. Are you in John 20 this morning? And today as we celebrate the resurrection and what it means in 2023, right here in little old Homosassa, is the reality that not only did Jesus rise again, show himself to many different people, 
But it also shows us something that God still makes appearances today. Jesus lived for 33 years. He ministered. He helped. He told God's truth. He healed people. Jesus was a people person. No doubt about it. And the, the thing that I thought of to preach to you this Easter morning is simply, God can't help but show up. <laughs> you see that in the story. He, he loves people. He loves you this morning. And if you came in here and you need a God that isn't going to stay at a distance, but a God who shows up in the personal crisis and messes of your life, you came to the right place. Because we not only have a risen Savior who is who He said He was and will do what He said He would do, but He will show up in the midst of your darkest moments. Because the amazing thing that I find in this story, because... I'm not Jesus. Everybody say, you're not Jesus. And neither are you. Come on. Thank goodness I'm not Jesus. Because as I've been reading this the last few days in preparation for this Sunday to to minister something very practical to you and something that I believe will challenge you yet encourage your hearts, is if I were Jesus and I have just risen from the grave and wrongly been put to death, you see, something very important you need to understand is Jesus did nothing wrong. He was sinless. He was the spotless Lamb of God who was sacrificed for my sin, your sin, and everyone's sin all through time by those who, by faith, believe that He resurrected from the dead, believe in their heart, confess with their mouth. But if I'm Jesus and I've been wrongly put to death... I'm not just showing up to the people he showed up to. I'm probably going to show up to Pilate's house. (laughs) For no other reason than to say, you should have listened to your wife, Bubba. (laughs) If you remember the story, the wife was like, do not put this innocent man to death. She had dreams. She had, had had an understanding of do not put him to death. Or maybe after I showed up at Pilate's house and just appeared. Maybe I would have made my way over to the Jewish Sanhedrin, Roman, the, the Jewish leaders that had him flogged and put the crown of thorns. But church, this tells us something so incredibly profound and important about God and his nature and who he is. Is that he wasn't concerned about trying to prove all the high and mighty and powerful wrong. That when he rose again, we see that he showed up to many different people, but there's three groups of people, people, individual, and groups of people corporately that he showed up to because Jesus still loves to show up. He's still making appearances, church. Because I would have shown up to those in power and I would have shown up to, to rebuke the ones who, who it was a, and when Jesus was tried by the Sanhedrin, it was at night and it was a kangaroo court, y'all. They were just trying to get rid of what they thought of as a problem of somebody that they saw as somebody that was stirring up trouble. And there's many, many different reasons that we're not going to go into this morning. But the very first person that we see that he shows up to is Mary. Everybody say Mary. Mary. He shows up to Mary for one very simple yet profound and beautiful reason when we see the nature of God reflected in His Son, Jesus Christ. He came to Mary for one reason, because Mary was crying. God is near to the brokenhearted. He comforts all who mourn. So perhaps if you've come into this place today brokenhearted, I want to assure you that Jesus desires to show up in the midst of your situation. Another person that he showed up to was Doubting Thomas, right? Man, we pick on Doubting Thomas a lot, don't we, around this time of year. His name is brought up quite often in Easter sermons and in different places of the one who doubted. In other words, Mary was heartbroken because she had such a love for the Lord. She was in the garden, brought the spices with the other women, and she was there downcast. She was upset. Her Lord, her Savior, the one that she put all her hope and faith in, looked like... He was gone forever. But Thomas was just as equally as disgruntled and just as equally as disappointed and just as equally standing back and saying, man, all my hopes and dreams went into that tomb that morning and he gave up. So can I tell you something for those who may be here that you just feel like life has almost had you to the place of giving up? Jesus will show up. He didn't show up to the high and mighty. He didn't show up to say, boo, I'm wrong. you're wrong and I was right. He shows up to us in our most difficult, heartbroken circumstances. He shows up to us. Listen, you probably didn't think you were going to hear this on Easter Sunday. 
He'll show up to you in your doubts. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God that I committed my life to 26 years ago. That's the kind of God that He is. Amen. Look at John 20. This is the third group that I want to focus on. Because in in this story in John 20, verse 19, we see that on the day that He arose in the evening time, Jesus makes another appearance. Not only did he appear to the two men on the road to Emmaus, he appeared to Mary, he appeared to these other people, but he wanted to make sure that he appeared to the ones who had followed him for those three and a half years before he was put upon the cross. And what he finds here in the story is he finds a group of failures. So he found somebody that was heartbroken, he found somebody that was doubting, and he found some a group of people that were literally heartbroken and they felt like they had completely failed because remember in this room that we're getting ready to read was somebody named Peter. And Peter in particular, as most know that are in here, Peter in particular had denied the Lord three times. He was very boastful in his devotion to Christ. He was very boastful in in, in his saying to Jesus, Jesus, I'll, I'll die for you. Jesus, I'll kill for you. He pulls out a sword in the garden of Gethsemane, cuts off the the ear. How bad do you have to be with the sword to cut off somebody's ear is my question. But he cuts off the ear. And they're all gathered in this room. And this room is not one of just a few nights before where the, the room was one of celebration. And it was one of, of celebrating the Passover. And, God, and the, the Lord Jesus, instit- he washes their feet. He institutes the Lord's Supper and all these kind of things. Make mo- no mistake about it. Jesus was about to enter a room of fear and failure. Look at verse 19 of John 20 this morning. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Father, for these next few minutes and moments, as we're gathered together today to celebrate the resurrection, as we're here today to celebrate the blood, as we're here today to honor the Spirit of God that's in this house right now, I pray you would just settle over this room, that same peace that you spoke 2,000 years ago in that room, where they were gathered because of fear. God, I pray that you would breathe and speak and and deposit that same peace today. Anything that's said of me, let it fall by the wayside. But Father, whatever's said under the unction of the precious Holy Spirit, let it go into the hearts of these wonderful people and families here today who have gathered in your name. God, we love and praise you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said. What we find here is the story we just read was an incredible scene as the story opens. And it's this, it's that the disciples who were gathered were hopeless and despondent. And church, that can model our life. Or if you look and get your eyes focused on the world that we live in today, it would be very easy to get hopeless and despondent. A group of the earliest disciples and believers dealing with the most crushing disappointment imaginable. The death of your teacher, your leader, your friend, your confidant. Simply put, he walked into a room and appeared to a group of people that had lost all hope. Everybody say hope. And it's easy to come in here on an Easter morning, especially when we're wearing our Sunday best, when we kind of put the mask on. We kind, of, uh, we kind of make sure that we're not arguing with the kids as we pull in the parking lot. Come on, somebody. I've been there. I've been there. Where we, you know, we're, we're trying to get them all shined up and ready and, and all those kind of things. But it's easy to look our best when we come on Sunday morning. And we all lose hope sometimes. It may be family issues. It may be financial issues. It may be addiction issues, but one thing that we can all agree on today is that a lot of times we're dealing with issues that Jesus wants to show up in. And a very important part of this story is this, when it says they were gathered together because of fear of the Jews. You can take Jews out of that 
scripture this morning and replace it with whatever it is you walked in here this morning heavy laden or fearful of, whether it be a doctor's report, whether it be worried about your grandkids or your kids, or worried about finances, or worried about the future of this great country we live in, whatever it is that you came in here fearful of, you could replace that this morning because they were gathered together because they were fearful. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the antithesis of faith is not unbelief. The antithesis of faith is fear. And oftentimes, as even believers, we walk around in a level of worry, concern, and fear. And they were gathered together for fear of the Jews. So replace that with whatever it is you're worried about or have fearful of this morning. Because you need to understand something important about fear. Fear will, will bind you, it will ensnare you, it will hurt you, it will paralyze you. Jesus knows that we cannot do the will of God that he has called us to do as the body of Christ and the people of God. If we're fearful, he wants us to be filled with faith. The table they were at would have reminded them at the table that they were just celebrating just a few short days before. This, make no mistake about it, was a table of tragedy. This was a table of failure. This was a table where one spot was empty because the one that they had, that had walked with them all those years named Judas had decided to sell out Jesus for pieces of silver. And maybe you know what it's like to sit at this table. Maybe you know what it's like to sit at a table of failure. Perhaps you've had a failure in your marriage. Maybe you've had a failure in your business. Maybe you feel like you failed at parenting. It's those places where all our hopes and dreams are crushed. But listen to me this morning, and this is one of the most important elements of the story. As long as you continue to sit at a table of fear and failure... That's all it will ever be. But when Jesus shows up, come on somebody. (laughs) Aren't you glad Jesus shows up? Aren't you glad that Jesus wasn't busy trying to tell everybody that had put him to death that they were wrong, but he was concerned about Mary. He was concerned about doubting Thomas. He was concerned about these two disciples who were making their way out of Jerusalem, away from all the failure and problem and the disappointment. And Jesus, it says very clearly, as they walked with him, their hearts burned within them. Because see, a table of fear and failure this morning can be turned into a table of victory with one simple thing, and that's when Jesus shows up. In the middle of your circumstance, it's when he shows up in the middle of your difficulty. Because one thing that we can all agree on in this room is we all face those tables of fear, failure, and difficulty. Amen? We all do. One of the stories I love in the Bible so much is when the disciples were in the boat rowing to the other side. And it says the winds were against them. Have you ever had those times in life where it just felt like the wind was against you? I have those times when I just kind of look up to hell. I'm being honest with you this morning. If you're visiting with us, if I'm nothing else, I'm very transparent and honest. But even as a pastor, y'all, I sometimes look up to heaven and I say, God, I'm for you. Are you for me, Lord? This happened just a few days ago. And this is what made me think of it is. Sometimes you feel like you're rowing against the wind. Sometimes you feel like life and circumstances and all hell itself is just blowing against you. And that's a reality of life. That's that's one of the realities. Jesus said very, very, very pointedly and clearly, in this world you will have trouble and tribulation. But be of good cheer. Because He has overcome the world. The one who overcame death, hell, and the grave showed up in the middle of the circumstance. He showed up walking on the water. And I love the fact that it says when Jesus stepped into the boat, the wind ceased. You just need to get Jesus in your boat. I have a 33-year-old Jeep that my wife told me not to get. She did. She's like, is this like a mini midlife crisis or something? You're wearing cut-off T-shirts and driving a 1990 Jeep. Like, just leave me alone. It's not that expensive. But I heard her say the other day, because I had to have some work done on it, it was quite expensive. It was unfortunately and unknowing to me. I thought it was very simple. It was not. Nothing's ever that simple, is it? No. No. Got it fixed. I was so excited and got it back in the garage. The very next morning, we're both walking out of the door to go on about our day. And I kind of looked down underneath it, and there was a pool of oil about this big. Oh. 
And that was, that was one of those moments. God, what's the deal? I heard her say behind me, she doesn't even know, she doesn't even realize I heard her say this. She was getting in the car and she just looked and looked back at me kind of like, I told you so. <laughs> but we have been through so many difficult circumstances over the last couple of years. I know many of you in here have also. But I heard her say this. She said, Jesus, do you know our address? <laughs> How many have ever felt, just be honest with me, how many have ever felt, Jesus, you, you know where I live, right? You, come on, just be honest with him this morning. Well, I got really good news for you. You have now become a candidate of Jesus showing up. <laughs> that's, the, that's the, you say, well, how do you get Jesus to show up? You need him. When you get so desperate for Jesus that you need him more than your next breath, I'm speaking to somebody in this room right now. You've never gotten to that point where you're just, Jesus, I need you to show up. I need you to get into the boat. I need you to, to come and to help me. Because sometimes we all look to heaven and say, God, what's the deal with this? Yeah. And as they were rowing, the winds didn't stop while they were straining. The wind didn't die down because Peter came to Jesus. The wind died down because Jesus came to Peter. Come on. Yeah. You say, what's the difference in that? You need to understand this Easter morning that this man in front of you is not saved and on his way to heaven because I'm so good. I'm saved and on my way to heaven because he's so good. I'm saved and on my way to heaven not because I'm such a good seeker of God. I'm saved and on my way to heaven because God is such a good seeker of the lost one that is away from the fold. So if you came in here this morning, been a long time in church, I want you to know Jesus is looking for you. Because Jesus loves to show up. Everybody say, show up. show up. So Jesus shows up in this room, and it's a table of despair. It's a table of failure. It's a table of depression. It's a table of fear. It's a table of embarrassment. It's a table of hopelessness. And the table that just a few moments earlier was all these things suddenly becomes a table of hope. Everybody say, hope. hope. You see, when Jesus showed up, it became from a table of despair to a table of hope because hope isn't a feeling. Hope is a person. Ha! <laughs> Come on. Too many times we miss our hope because hope has substance. Everybody, th- everybody say substance. Because hope is a person, and that person's name this morning is Jesus Christ. Amen. Oftentimes people, and I've heard this said by secular people, well, you, you, know, you folks just need religion because you're just weak. I'm like, yes. I need Jesus because I am not strong enough to face the storms of life by myself, but He is strong enough to come alongside me. Hope is built on a foundation. Hope has a substance. When I printed out my notes this morning, I went in and told our administrator, Faith, I said, you might want to put a donut in your purse because it's usually 12 pages, it's 25 today. So just settle on in, y'all. Come on. I want to give you five things from this story this morning that I believe will help you get to the place of restored hope. To get to the place where you understand that Jesus didn't just come to save a king or a president or somebody important. He came for all of us that are in this room this morning. So number one that we see that turned the table of failure and depression into a table of hope is the presence of God. Everybody say His presence. Verse 19 says, Jesus came and stood in their midst. Church, the first thing that turns your fear and failure and depression and despair and discouragement into hope again is the presence of Jesus. You see, hope is a person. So if we're going to have hope in the midst of difficult, dark days that are ahead of us as a country, then we are going to have to learn how to tap into something more than just doctrines and religious church attendance and all those type of things. We need to learn how to tap into the very presence of God. Because the the principle is, in your spiritual life, you're either moving forward towards God or you're sliding back away from God. There is no static place in your relationship with Him. It's only one of these two things. But church, we need to learn to nurture the very real, tangible presence of Jesus. Because Christianity just isn't a list of do's and don'ts and a list of doctrines to adhere to and, and a church attendance. Christianity is a relationship with a living, risen Savior that will show up when you call upon His name. Jesus gave us, in the story, He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit is in us, and the Holy Spirit is on us, and the anointing of God is strong and powerful and effective, and the anointing of God destroys the yokes in our lives. So if you want to carry one thing, and I hope you carry them all away from here today, but if you could just learn how to, how to get into the presence of God that is offered to us by way of the blood of Jesus Christ, you will see the disappointment, the, the darkness, and the fear go, because hope is a person. Can I tell you, there's, there's a place in the presence of God. I want to teach you just something very simple, yet something that will absolutely revolutionize your life. That when you do face difficulties, when you do face disappointment, when you do face those things in your life, if you could learn to run to God and get into His presence, everything changes. That's not just a song we sing, church. It really does. Because the presence will change your Perspective. Everybody say perspective. The reason the presence changes your perspective this morning is because when Jesus does show up in this room, the room of despair and the room of failure, I love the fact that Jesus shows up for Peter. And if you know the story, and I'm assuming many in here do, but for the sake of those who perhaps don't, Peter was loud and boisterous. I mean, I love Peter. I think he was from the south side of the kingdom myself. I mean, I do to be quick to pull a knife. Just loud, just, just always giving his opinion and always, always telling Jesus there towards the end, I'll, I'll go anywhere. I'll pay any price. I'll go with you to your, to your Rebukes the Lord Jesus right after he has a revelation of who Jesus is, comes to Jesus no, no, and Jesus says very clearly. I mean, how do you go from having a revelation of who Jesus is to literally being used by Satan? Because he said, get thee behind me, Satan. It shows that we can all fall pretty quickly. Yes. Amen? Amen? Peter's there. And, and, and see, when you get the presence of Jesus in your circumstance, it changes your perspective because their perspective, and it, look at this in the story very, very clearly. In the story, he made sure that he said, look here. See see the nail scar? Don't be afraid of scars. When I I see my hand regularly and think back to uh, me cutting my hand, doing something very silly, but it always reminds me of the time and the place of where I was when that happened, right? But the scars that he wanted to show them was to take their perspective because what they were sitting just a few minutes before, their perspective, listen, there is no greater battle for the people of God in the day and age that we live in, church, than our perspective. Because our perspective is so inundated with CNN and Fox and, and news and all these things going on around us. The church, if you could do one thing today is see, get into the presence of Jesus and allow Him to show you a kingdom perspective of life, of family, of God, of everything that you're facing right now. Because when He said, look, the thing that you thought was causing death is the very thing that's bringing you life everlasting. In church, this life is just preschool for eternity. Do you understand how long eternity is? It's forever. I can't even wrap my mind around that. It doesn't end. And he wanted to come to those broken, hurt, disappointed disciples. And he wanted to come with his presence because he wanted to change their perspective on what they were looking at. Because when you get God's perspective, he has the best perspective. Amen? Amen? My point is that very thing that the doctor said was going to destroy you may be the very thing is a testimony of God's grace and goodness. That very disappointment that that person you thought would never leave you left you and God can change your perspective and show you that He has a hope and a future for you sitting right there. The people that are in this room that have the perspective that I'll never be able to overcome this mental illness or addiction, can I tell you, we have a way maker who still shows up in the midst of the difficulty and the pain and the disappointment and what He wants to do is show you a different perspective because our God not only shows up with His presence, presence, but he changes our perspective. Amen. Amen. Everybody say perspective. Perspective. Nothing more important than your perspective. Because when you change your perspective, 
is when you experience peace. Everybody say peace. peace. Notice he, he says peace twice in there. He says peace to you and peace with you. Amen? Not just peace with us, but God wants to show you a perspective that's going to give you peace in us. The presence of Jesus creates the peace of Jesus. He didn't talk about power yet. He didn't talk about preaching yet. He didn't talk about any of those things. He wanted them to change their perspective so that they could have peace. Church, one of the, one of the greatest needs of our, our society, our churches, our people, and, and one of the greatest tools of witnessing to the world around us is for you to walk in peace no matter the disappointment, discouragement, or difficulty that you're facing because that is what is going to reach a world that is so harem scarum and helter-skelter that they don't have the genuine peace in their life and in their heart. Jesus said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world can't give, so don't be troubled or afraid. Notice Jesus contrasted it with the world, the, the peace that the world gives and how he gives peace. An important question here, how does the world give peace? The world gives peace based on circumstances. And I have learned that circumstances can get pulled out from under me at any given moment. But the type of peace that Jesus gives, He says the world can't give it and the world can't take it away because it's not predicated on your circumstances this morning. It's predicated on a person showing up with His presence that not only has peace on you, you can have peace within you. Look, you can lose your peace over what a doctor said. You can lose it over what your wife said over what your kids told you to wear as a tie this morning. I mean, our peace can leave us in a moment of bad news. But Jesus said there is a peace that he gives, not like the world. Jesus said, I'll give you my peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And I want to tell you something today. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when he promised that he would give his disciples and his people, doesn't mean that I don't get my eyes off onto something difficult. I do it all the time. But I begin to say, Jesus, would you show up in this situation? And what I found in that prayer is oftentimes he doesn't change the circumstance, he changes me. That's really what he's wanting to get to this morning. He's wanting to get at your heart that's so troubled and feels like there's a storm going on. Or he's trying to get at your heart that is far and distant away from God. And you say, I don't understand why I don't have that peace. I don't understand why I don't have that joy. I don't understand why I don't have the oomph of life that I had at one time. It's because maybe you've moved away from the presence of God. And maybe you're not experiencing the presence like Jesus said we would. So important. Listen to me today. Fear is never eradicated or destroyed. It's displaced. Everybody say displaced. displaced. The same way that if you filled a bathtub and you sat down in it, then what happens? The water rises. So if you imagine a, a bucket full of dirty water this morning and that represents all the difficulties, all the scary things that we face and all the hurts and disappointments and, and all those things are, are in there. If you took a, a bucket of pure, clean water and began to dump it into that bucket of dirty water, what happens? The dirty water is displaced by the clean water. That's what Jesus came to do is not just eradicate these issues, but he came to displace them. Everybody say peace. Peace. That's why the first words of the resurrected Savior, he told them, was peace. Why did he do that? Because they were lacking it. And church, the reason I'm preaching this this morning to this group of people that's gathered here today is we are lacking true, genuine peace in our lives. And assurance, as we just sang there at the very end, I know who holds my future. One of the battles that we have in this day is seeing things from God's kingdom perspective. Number four this morning is our purpose. Everybody say purpose. purpose. Young people, listen to me for just a minute because I hope you've asked yourself this question as you get up into your teenage and maybe even in your early 20s. If you haven't, it'd be a great question to ask yourself or anybody else in this room, why am I here? Make no mistake, God created you on purpose for a purpose. God, God called and created those disciples to be with Him, to teach them, and to walk with them. 
So we have a purpose. And church, your purpose is not just to accumulate more stuff and to enjoy material things. Come on. I've noticed something about all that anyway. Everybody spends their whole life gathering all that stuff up and then they get too old to enjoy any of it. Come on. Is your pastor lying this morning? Look at what Jesus said. He said, from his presence came peace, from his peace came perspective, and from his perspective came purpose. Everybody say purpose again. In verse 21, he says, as the Father sends me, I am sending you. Jesus has been sent from heaven. So now in this moment, he's commissioning his his disciples that you have more to live for than just the eradication of difficulty. You have something. And don't miss a wonderful, beautiful point of every disciple that he appeared to in that room went on and were martyred. Some of them burn alive. Some of them hung upside down on crosses. Some of them horribly martyred and murdered. I'm telling you the truth this morning that I wouldn't be martyred for a lie, but I would for the truth. It's another just small proof of Jesus is who he said he was. And he appeared many, many times over the course of four days. He says, you're from God and sent from God. And nobody has your testimony but you. Nobody has your testimony. So as we're being sent, as we're we're commissioned by God to receive His peace, it's always for a purpose. So you're alive for a reason and a purpose. And number five is the power of God. Everybody say power. Power. Verse 22, it says, He breathed on them. John writing this had to kind of be thinking about in the very beginning in Genesis of God breathing life upon Adam. Maybe even thinking about those dry bones of Ezekiel where the breath of God was breathed. Now I simply refer to myself as a Christian, but if I had to kind of designate a flavor of Christian, it would be a charismatic Pentecostal believer because you're looking at a man that believes in the power of the Holy Spirit. You're looking at a man that I believe with all my heart, if we do not get to know God's power through the Holy Spirit, we're going to face a lot more difficulties in the days ahead than what we could ever imagine. Because of this, the power is not for my or your enjoyment. It's for the our empowerment. Empowerment from what? For what? It's the power to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? If we could get the folks back up here to softly play. I told you I'd give you information that is practical and that you could use. Because I think and believe that I've answered, hopefully, a lot of the questions perhaps you walked in here with this morning. One of the questions I have often is, God, how am I going to get through this circumstance? How am I going to get through this difficulty? How am I going to get through what I see coming ahead? And others in here may be asking a different question of, God, what does it mean to really have a relationship with you? My thought was simple, and my big idea was very simple when I began to write this Easter message a couple days ago and yesterday, is that God still loves to show up. He didn't walk out of the tomb and then immediately ascend to heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father and listen to me this morning until... The father looks back at the son and he says, go get my children. This pastor standing before you today does not use fear tactics. He does not use any of those things because I think fear is a horrible motivator. I've been motivated by fear before and it lasted about a week. But the love that I have seen exhibited towards me, you say, what love? Why we were yet sinners Christ died for us. I told you that I would give you information that you could use in a practical way. Because Jesus showing up in that room meant three very important things. And let me give them to you this morning. Number one, when he showed up, he was signaling that the past could be forgiven. Are you thankful that your past can be forgiven? 
because I mentioned him already, but somebody he showed up to on the, on the shore of the sea after they had had a long night of not catching any fish. And man, if, if this story doesn't just pull on your heart and give you a glimpse of who your heavenly father is, nothing else will. Because here's Peter who, again, he's seen the risen Christ. He, 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 he was there when he appeared in the room. But yet, and this is where some of you are this morning, you, you are so weighed down by your past that you can't move into your future. And the blood of Jesus is what God provided for us to be cleansed from our past. And Peter is fishing. He doesn't catch anything. And there's somebody on the shore as they're coming back in, and he has a fire built. And when he says the words, have you any fish? Peter recognizes his voice. It's important to recognize the voice of Jesus. He says, it's the Lord. And don't miss the power of this. Don't miss the fact that today your past can be wiped away. You can have a new slate. Some of you my age will understand this little analogy, but you need a Holy Ghost Etch-A-Sketch. Come on. (laughs) Anybody else like those Etch-A-Sketches? I did. I sit there. I was horrible at them, but... I love the fact that as soon as you messed up, what could you do? You could. Peter is about to have an etch-a-sketch moment with the Lord Jesus Christ because, and think about this for a second. Think about this. Our strongest sense is our sense of smell. It is. And Peter, just a few days before, has denied the Lord Jesus around a fire three times. So Jesus builds a fire. The risen Christ, the king of the universe, the one who spoke everything into existence, there wouldn't have been anything made if he wouldn't have made it. By him and through him, he's the alpha and the omega. The the beginning that when John saw him in his resurrected glory in heaven, he fell down as a that Jesus is cooking breakfast for somebody he loved. Again, he's not showing up to Pilate. He's not appearing in Rome before Caesar. I'm the king. He's, he's concerned about his friend. Yes. If you don't think Jesus cares about every detail of your life, he looks at Peter with the, the, the smell of a fire filling his nose. And the smell of that fire is immediately going to bring him back to just a few days before when he said, I don't know him. And he hears the rooster crow. And when the rooster crowed, Jesus is being brought from one trial to the next. He has the crown of thorns. He's already been beaten. He's bloodied. And it says, and the Lord looked at him. So Jesus is looking again. He showed up on the shore and looks across the fire. And he says something that is so powerful. He says, Peter, do you love me? Man, when I first got saved, I would have, yes, Lord, I'd go anywhere for you. And then 26 years down the road, I'm just trying to get myself to heaven. Come on. I'm telling you the truth. Peter said the best thing he could. He said, Lord, you know. What had been stripped away from Peter? The season some of you have been in is for God to strip away the pride in your own self-reliance, in your own thinking that you have the ability to save yourself. I came to tell you something very simple this morning. You can't save yourself. If Again, if we would have needed an, a, a money, God would have sent an economist. If we would have needed knowledge, God would have sent a scientist. We don't need those things as much as we simply need someone to save us from ourselves. And he sits around the fire. And he's giving him an understanding. Colossians 3.14 says, He has forgiven all our sins and canceled every record of the debt we owed. Christ has done away with it by nailing it to the cross. This is God's pardon program. He says he nailed it to the cross. Jesus paid for your and my guilt, and that means you don't have to pay for it. Secondly, it means... My present problems can be solved. Ephesians 1.20 says, How incredibly great is His power to help those who believe in Him. The same mighty power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. 
the same power that enabled Jesus to rise from death and out of that tomb that we celebrate today means that any problem you have can be solved. God has a power to solve your problem because when he, you show up in His presence, He changes your perspective. He'll speak peace into your life, into your heart because peace doesn't come from the circumstances this morning. It comes from a person. And number three this morning, it means my future can be secure. I want to remind you of something today as you're here. None of us get out of this alive. Death and taxes, y'all. April 15th's coming. But isn't it interesting, even Jesus said, go grab a coin. Whose image is on that? It said Caesar's. And he said, render to Caesar what's unto Caesar what's Caesar's. And render unto God what's God's. I'm telling you what he was saying right there in that moment. I'm telling you what he was saying besides pay your taxes. What he was saying is everybody that's right here under the sound of my voice is made in the image of Almighty God. And the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ means that as image bearers, God is calling us to surrender ourselves unto him because he loves you. He created you. He has a plan and purpose for your life. But we have a huge problem. It's called sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And this pastor is going to call it what it is, not mistakes or mess ups. or it, it, It's sin. If you're living a life that's apart from God, it's called sin. You can either go this morning with plan A or plan B. A lot of people try plan A. Plan, plan A is, I'm going to work my way into heaven. Can I tell you what that takes according to the Bible? Perfection. Perfection. Because heaven is a perfect place. Total love, total peace, total joy, total perfection. No sin, no mistakes, no evil. And in order to go there, you have to be perfect. But that would leave us all out. Amen? That's the performance plan. And to do it, you have to never sin, never turn your back on God, live a perfect life. But I think you understand where I'm going with this. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that our righteousness is as filthy rags. So in this moment here in the presence of God, would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes on this Easter morning? You came in and you perhaps are sitting at a table of despair, a table of disappointment, a table of failure. Or you could be sitting at a table of pride that says to yourself, I don't really need that salvation thing. I don't really need that blood of Jesus. I don't really need my sins to be nailed to the cross because... I'm really not that bad of a person. Can I tell you the Holy Spirit is moving in on you now and He's tugging at your heart to make this the day of salvation, to make this the day that you surrender your life and your heart to God. And then we invite you to take a spiritual journey with this church because you'll be surrounded by people that are just as messed up as you are, but we're making our way to being who God called us to be. I look out over a group of people, and Leah mentioned it uh, six years ago. We came here, and I look out at a group of people that I have seen God do miracles of growth in. Miracles. My question this morning is, on this Easter morning, you say, God, I don't want my way or my plan. I want to surrender my life to you this morning. Could I ask you just to shoot your hand up right there where you are? I need to surrender my all to him. Amen. 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 Amen, sister. Amen. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, listen, it's from your heart. It's not head knowledge. It's from your heart. In other words, 
you come to Jesus honestly and you're just saying, Jesus, I need you to save me. Let's pray this together. Dear Heavenly Father, Father, on this Easter morning, morning, I come to you honestly. I come to you humbly. I I ask you today today that you would take my sins, that you would would nail them to the cross, that you would wash me clean, that you would come into my life, you would come into my heart. I ask you to save me. I ask you to be my Lord. I submit my life to you. Lead me. Guide me. Help me. And today, God, breathe upon me the breath of peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Look, those of you, many of you who raise your hand, I want you to know that when you pray that from your heart, your life changes. Amen. You've now come from a place of death into a place of new life. And there's nothing more glorious than walking with Jesus. There's nothing more beautiful than serving Him and to being close to Him. Because God has real peace and power for your problems, whatever you're facing. Can I bless you today on this Easter before we go? And again, if you're visiting with us, thank you. Thank you for making Christian Center the place that you're, you came and worshiped Jesus with us. We invite you back again and again and again. And remember, if there's anything this pastor and his wife can ever do for you, please, please, please let us know. Father, today I bless the people of God. I pray they would be blessed as they've come in and they would be mightily blessed as they go out. Father, I pray that your face would turn towards them, shine upon them and give them peace. Lord, we pray over this Easter day as we gather together with our families and continue to celebrate you and your goodness. Lord, I pray you show up in each and every one of those places. I pray your presence would be mighty and wonderful and beautiful, that you would watch over and protect us, God, in your hand of mercy would be upon us and your hedge of protection would be around about us. Place your angels before and behind and surround us with that hedge of protection. Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus over each person, each family, each kid, each grandchild here. God, we love you. We praise you. And God, we thank you for the blood. We thank you that you rose again. We thank you that we're on our way to heaven because of the sacrifice of Jesus today. Father, we love and bless you. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. Go in the name of the Lord. Nobody's told you they love you today. Your pastor loves you. Thank you for joining with us on this Easter Sunday.